This morning, I want to talk to you on the subject, the donuts of deception. The donuts of deception. I want to talk to you about the donuts of deception. See, the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, and He's telling you to put down the donuts of deception. You've got to stop eating the donuts of deception. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd give us strength, encouragement, wisdom, and understanding. That your spirit would fall mightily in this place. That you'd open up our ears and open up our eyes as we open up our lives to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. One of the things that I loved when I was growing up was my mother's cooking. Can I get an amen? Amen. Christianese, it means I agree. My mother's cooking was bomb dizzle. That was the technical term by which we described it. Bomb dizzle. My mother cooked all kinds of stuff. She cooked, she loved to cook Mexican food. She wasn't Mexican. She would make, uh, she'd make huevos rancheros Saturday mornings for breakfast. She liked to make Italian food. She'd throw some ghetto lasagna together. It was bomb. And she would make uh, some ghetto tacos. They were bomb. I liked her tacos better than the tacos at the taco truck. And, uh, and I, she'd make soul food, too. She'd make collard greens and, uh, uh, with ham hocks, cornbread. My mother's cornbread, just take one bite of it, you will slap the closest person to you. I guarantee it. Just, when you taste it, I will not stand close because you will just instinctively, you will apologize later, but you will slap the person closest to you. If you taste her cornbread, that, it's just a knee-jerk reaction. You just can't, it, you can't contain it. Not only that, she'd make, you know, traditional American dishes too, like baked chicken, baked <laughs> ham, and, and uh, uh, you know, some of the stuff I didn't like, like she'd make peas. I hate peas. When she'd make vegetables, she'd make me sit there until I ate them. Sometimes I'd be sitting there at the table till 10 and 11 o'clock at night, swallowing peas one by one like pills, <laughs> you know, so I couldn't stand it. By the end, I had, you know, like 90% of my meal was water because I'm swallowing all this water with pills, taking, taking these peas like pills. But I enjoyed, overall, I enjoyed my mother's cooking. But the thing that disturbed me about my mother's cooking is that it took her so long to cook it. You see, I was always ready to eat it prior to her readiness to feed it to me. And so I would run by the kitchen. i say, Mom, come on, I'm hungry. Is it time to eat yet? She'd say, not yet, son. I want you to go outside and play. And I'd go outside and play, but... I'd have food on the brain. And so I'd run back in the kitchen. I'd say, Mom, I'm so hungry. Could I please have something to eat? She'd say, Son, I'm cooking it, but it's not quite ready yet. And every once in a while, she would put the the spoon or the fork in the pot and take out a spoonful or a forkful of whatever it was just to shut me up. She would stick it in my mouth. And at the moment when she filled my mouth with the meal of the night... When she filled my mouth with the delicacies that she was preparing to serve to the whole family, at that very moment in my mouth there would be an explosion of satisfaction while simultaneously in my stomach there would be an eruption of hunger. Because when you're hungry for a whole meal and somebody sticks a forkful of something in your mouth, it satisfies you for a moment, but it, 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 as quickly as it satisfies you, it reminds you of just how hungry you are. I mean, think of opening up a bag of chips and eating one chip. Think of sitting in front of a pizza pie and eating one, not a slice, a bite. Just one bite. Think of picking up a hamburger, taking one nibble and putting it down. When you're starving, you don't want a bite, you want a meal. But my mother would give me a bite and send me back out to the yard. She said, go back outside and play with your brothers until dinner is ready. And I would go outside, and I would not be thinking about kickball or football or baseball or basketball or whatever we were playing. It didn't interest me anymore because I've tasted of the goodness of my mama's kitchen. I've tasted of the goodness of her table, and I can't wait to sit down and eat of her table. And the reason I'm so hungry for her food is because I've tasted it. I hunger for what I've tasted of. Now, let me ask you a question today. Are you hungry for God or are you satisfied in him? Are you hungry for God or are you satisfied in him? And the answer to that question is yes. It's a trick question, isn't it? 
Because if you don't know what it's like to be satisfied in him, you don't know what it's like to hunger for him. You can't hunger for anything that you haven't tasted. It's like, you know, I would never say something like, I'm hungry for some caviar. I never had caviar. So I don't know if I'm hungry for it or not. You can't hunger for something that you've never tasted. But if I say, I'm hungry for some buffalo wild wings. I, come on, somebody. Mm, I just got the Holy Ghost. I just got touched. The power of God, I feel it going all through my body right now. You know why I can hunger for buffalo wild wings? Because I've tasted and I've seen. I've tasted. I've tasted. I've, David said, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. You don't know he's good till you taste him. And you can't even hunger and thirst for him until you taste him. If you're here today and you say, well, I don't hunger for God, it's because you just haven't tasted him. You just have, but if you just get a taste, if you just get a taste of God in your mouth, you cannot help but leave this place hungering and thirsting for more. Hungering and thirsting for more. Now, my brothers and I, we always loved my mom's cooking. Always. And who wouldn't? I mean, everybody loves my mom's cooking. I mean, my mom could throw down in the kitchen. I mean, it is just a fact. It's a scientific truth. It's objective. It's not a subjective. I've never seen anybody leave my mother's kitchen unsatisfied. And it's not an ethnic thing. I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, or indifferent. Red and yellow, black and white, they all love to sit and eat my mama's cooking. To change the song, right? doesn't matter who you are. You love my mama's cooking. But the most dangerous thing somebody could do for me when I was a little kid was give me just a few dollars. See, it's not like it was back in the day. Kids these days, you know, they carry around $20 bills and, you know, $10 bills. I never got $20. You know, I was 13 years old, and if you gave me a dollar, I was excited. You know, I was excited. You know why? Because I thought of currency in terms of candy. That is, when you gave me money, the only thing I thought of was how much candy I could buy with that money. And back then, a dollar bought a lot of candy. I would go down to the liquor store. If I had $5, I was a wealthy man. $5 was enough to put me in candy, to keep me in candy for a week. And I loved candy. I dreamed about that stuff. You know, I love Nihilators. You know what Nihilators are, right? Nihilators. No, not now and laters. You're mispronouncing it. Not now and laters. It's Nihilators. It's written right on the package. Nihilators. How about sour powers? Ooh, I used to love me some sour powers. Gummy bears. Gummy bears, gummy worms. Remember the root beer gummy worms? You ever had the root beer flavored gummy worms? Oh, those things are just glorious. Glorious. And I love cookies too, Oreos. Oreo cookies, nothing but chocolate cookie with lard and sugar on the inside. Oreos. But my weakness was donuts donuts. I lived for donuts. You know, I used to dream about donuts. I used to want to be a cop just so I could eat more donuts. Winchell's donuts. You remember Winchell's? There used to be a Winchell's on every corner, man. I would save my money and I dreamed of buying boxes of donuts. And every chance I got, if I passed by a Winchell's, if I just had 20 cents in my pocket, that was enough for two donut holes. I would stop and get donut holes. I would be in do- I would get as many donuts. I lived to get as many donuts as I possibly could. But see, here's the problem. Here's the problem with, with junk food. If I had $5 in my pocket and I knew that my mother was going to serve dinner at 6 o'clock and it was 5 o'clock and I was on the way home, but I passed by a donut shop I know my mom's going to have dinner ready at 6 o'clock, but it's 5 o'clock, and I'm hungry already. I'm hungry right now. You see, if my mom was here right now with the food, with the meal, there'd be no question. I'd sit at the table and eat what my mother was cooking, but mom ain't here. Winchell's is here. And I don't have to wait for Winchell's to cook it. They cook it before I come. They have them on display. All I got to do is point. Bam! I'll take that nice glaze, right? And I got, I'll take a chocolate raise, right? And so, but it's 5 o'clock, and so I would walk into Winchell's just saying to myself, I'm just going to get one donut hole, just enough to hold me over. But one donut hole would turn into a half dozen, 
and not a half dozen donut holes, but a half dozen donuts. So then when I come home and sit at the table, and my mother has made this beautiful array of food, but when I sit down at the table, the food is delicious. Nothing wrong with the food. It's been, it's been, it's been perfectly prepared. It's hot, but I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. Why? Because I have already satiated my hunger with the donuts of deception. The donuts of deception. Do you hunger for God? John Piper, he said, if you do not hunger and thirst for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled too long at the table of the world. Your soul is so stuffed with small things that there's no room for the great. Meaning when you come to the table and sit at the table of the Lord and see the meal that he's prepared, if you don't hunger for what's sitting in, if you come into worship and worship is happening and the spirit of the Lord is moving and people are seeking the face of God, if you don't have any hunger for that, it's because you have been nibbling on the donuts of deception. And you're, you've stuffed, you've ruined your appetite with the donuts of deception. And so there's no room in you to begin to hunger for real spiritual food. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2 and following, he said, why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Why do you spend your money on the donuts of deception? Now, every once in a while, having a donut is not bad as long as you have it after your meal, not with your meal. But if you begin to live on donuts, think about this. If you woke up in the morning and had donuts. Now, this was the lifestyle that I desired as a young boy. I mean, I I dreamed of this stuff. Waking up in the morning. I remember when I was about three years old and my family was on vacation in Seattle, Washington. We were staying at my cousin Dwight and Judy's house. And I remember we were in the house. We woke up early in the morning and my cousin Dwight, big burly man, he was about six foot two both ways. And he, he came down. He came down that morning and he walked into the kitchen, big burly man. And, and to me, he just looked like, you know, like Thor or Hercules or something, you know, he just big, you know, I just wanted to be big. I didn't realize, I didn't realize he was kind of big that I shouldn't have desired, but he, he came down and he walks in the kitchen and he, it's morning and it's breakfast time. And he reached in the cabinet and pulled out some Oreos, just a big bag of Oreos. And then reached in the fridge, pulled out a bottle of mug root beer. And he filled this big mug with mug root beer and grabbed about a half dozen cookies like that and walked out with mug root beer and cookies. And I said to my dad, I want mug root beer and cookies for breakfast. And my dad said to me, listen to, listen to this. This gave me hope. He said, you're too little to eat that. You're too little. You're too little. He's, he's an adult. He can eat whatever he wants for breakfast. But you're, you're a kid. And I thought, when I become an adult... <laughs> I'm going to drink root beer and eat cookies for breakfast. (laughs) I'll never forget the day my dream came to pass. (laughs) What if you had cookies and root beer for breakfast? The donuts of deception for lunch. The annihilators of the world for dinner. And the sour powers of the flesh for a late night snack. What if you lived on cake and candies? You know what a muffin is, right? A muffin is an excuse to eat, cook, to eat cake for breakfast. <laughs> that's not cake. That's, no, that's cake. <laughs> oh, it's a muffin. <laughs> Even got big chocolate muffins. You know, it's just breakfast. Nice breakfast. Chocolate cake. You sat down and had chocolate cake and a glass of milk. People say, what are you doing eating cake for breakfast? Breakfast. But you put a little muffin wrap underneath it and say, oh, that's a muffin. Healthy. It's deception. What if all you ate was junk food? After a while, that sugar would start weighting your stomach. 
body down. You would just feel that sugar. You know when you've eaten too much sugar and it gets in your pores and it's running through your veins. You, you're just sweating sugar and, and sugar starts to weight down your, your clog your arteries and, and you, pretty soon you can't even see straight because diabetes is creeping in. You, after a while, you don't want any sugar. After a while, you, I remember when I was a little kid and somebody brought over my grandma. People used to come to my grandmother's house and bring her just boxes of stuff. And one day they brought over a box of big humongous giant size sugar daddies you remember sugar daddies giant ones my brothers and i our eyes got so big i grabbed that sugar daddy and licked that thing for 48 hours straight it took me 48 hours to take down that sugar daddy but by god i took that thing down i took it down and to this day i tremble when i see a sugar daddy I never want to see another sugar daddy again as long as I let I mean, Somebody holds up. Oh, Lord, I never want to touch. Do you, after a while, I couldn't stand the smell of that thing. After a while, you're eating that stuff. It, it's designed to destroy you. It's designed to kill you. And the problem was, if I'm eating all that stuff, pretty soon I start to crave it. Because, see, you actually hunger for the things that you feed on. You say, but I don't have a desire for that. Yeah, because you don't eat that. You have to start eating it in order to desire to eat it. See, there are certain things that are an acquired taste. Kimchi. You ever had kimchi? You know what I'm talking about, kimchi? First time, and the more fermented it is, the first time I smelled kimchi, I was a little kid, I almost threw up. It was fermented and... There, we were at a rest stop on the way to L.A., and there was a group of Koreans, and they opened up the jar of kimchi, and I thought somebody had released something. I said, oh, Lord, now I love kimchi. Kimchi and rice. To make my wife happy, all I got to do is fry a couple eggs, fry some Spam, put it on a plate next to some steamed rice, and a big pile of kimchi. Ooh, she looks like she just won the lottery when I bring that up to her. She gets all excited. What am I saying? You've been nibbling so long at the table of the world that when you come and sit at the table of the Father, you can't even hunger for the things that he's made. You don't even feel that you want it. You stand passively while everybody's worshiping around you and everybody's receiving around you. You know why you're not hungry? You know why you're not hungry? Not because you don't want what he's serving because you don't know that you want what he's serving. You haven't taken the time to discover whether you want what he's serving or not because you still, you've been eating the stuff that the devil is serving. Remember, my mother used to have this bell that she would ring. Ding, ling, ling, ling. When she rang the bell, it was time to come together to eat. My brothers and I would be in the backyard, and we'd be playing, and we'd be, you know, having a good time, and all of a sudden that bell would ring. We'd drop whatever we were doing and run to the table. But you've got to preserve your appetite, see? Don't ruin your appetite. And we would come to the table and say, when she rang that bell, it was time to assemble in the kitchen. When she rang the bell, it was time to drop whatever you were doing and assemble in the kitchen. It was time for the assembly, and everybody better be in their place at the table. Everybody, run in the house, wash your face, wash your hands, you know, go dry your face in your hands and go sit at the table, be ready to eat. Once she rang that bell, it was time for the family to gather together. But we understood that the reason that the family came together, the reason that the family gathered together was to eat. It wasn't just to come together for no reason, but it was to eat. And if there's somebody sitting at the table not eating, you better believe that mama was going to get on somebody's case. Because I slaved. My grandmother was even worse. My grandmother would feed you to death. I remember one day I called my grandmother on the phone because my parents were out of town. I said, Mama, I'm so hungry. I was a college student at the time. I I woke up one morning. I was hungry. I said, my grandmother will feed me. I called her up. I said, Mama, I'm hungry. She said, yes, Lord. She was from Arkansas. She said, come right on over. I'm cooking right now. I got in my car, drove to her house. By the time I got to her house, she had made me a platter of fried eggs. Not one, not two, a whole platter of fried eggs and a platter of fried potatoes and a platter of bacon and a pan of biscuits. And I said, Mama, who else is coming? <laughs> she said, this is just for you. So I sat down, took a couple eggs, took some, some you know, potatoes and ate some bacon and a couple biscuits. And when I got done, I said, I'm so full. She said, you better finish that. 
I said, Mama, I got to eat all of this. She said, I slaved over that stove. You better eat it. I said, Mama, I can't eat all. I wanted to cry. I said, Mama, I can't eat all of this. Boy, you better eat it. And when she got up and picked up her wooden spoon, I said, I'm eating, Mama, I'm eating. You didn't come to the table and not eat. Matter of fact, you didn't come in the house and not eat. You don't come to my house and not eat what's on my table. My grandmother, one man, a preacher, came over our house one time on Thanksgiving. Why did he do that? My grandmother was cooking that Thanksgiving. And he made the mistake of coming after eating dinner with his family. She nearly killed that man. I mean, she nearly put that man in the hospital. She brought him a plate that was stacked up to here. And she was so, he said, oh, oh, Sister Means, I'm so full right now. She had a tear just welled up in her eye. She looked like he had just shot her dog. And so he felt so bad he ate that plate of food. And, and then she went in the kitchen and immediately brought him out another plate. <laughs> then a tear welled up in his eye. <laughs> but she had this look on, and, then, and when, he, when he protested, she went and got the wooden spoon. That man ate that food. He spent the night at my house. He was moaning and groaning all night long. That man nearly died. I mean, she nearly killed that man with kindness. But you don't come to my house unless you're hungry. You don't come to my house. That's how it works. Now, in the Old Testament, they had this concept that they called the assembly of the Lord. When Moses called the children of Israel together, it was the assembly of the Lord. When Nehemiah called the children of Israel together, it was the assembly of the Lord. The the Hebrew word for assembly is kahal. Say it, kahal. It was the Kahal Yahweh, the assembly of the Lord. Whenever the people of Israel came together and they assembled, it wasn't the assembly of man, it was the assembly of the Lord, meaning they assembled before the Lord. They came together before the Lord. Now, when the, how many know what the Septuagint is? Do you know what the Septuagint is? Raise your hand if you know what the Septuagint is. Okay, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Why? In 365 B.C., Alexander the Great conquered the entire Near Eastern world, and whenever Alexander the Great would conquer your nation, he would take the top 65% of the nation. He would take the brightest and best, the wisest, the smartest, and the strongest, 65% of your nation, and he would remove them from that nation and scatter them over his whole empire and then replace that 65% with a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different nations. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to weaken every nation that he conquered so that they could not band together rise up against him and attack him and overthrow him. So he knew that if he was to disperse the nations that he conquered throughout his entire empire, he would weaken them. Now, 65% of the Jews were taken out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, and dispersed throughout the Near Eastern world. Now, the way he made his kingdom work is that if you take a whole bunch of nations and mix them all up together, you need one language to unify it. And that one language was his language. It was Greek. Alexander the, the Great was from Greece. And so he gave Greek, he made Greek the common language. Everybody spoke Greek. Now, you have these, these, these Jews of what's called the dispersion. You see, Peter talks about that. He speaks to the pilgrims of the dispersion scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's talking to the people that were scattered in the dispersion of Alexander the Great in 365 B.C. Now, within a couple generations, these Jews didn't speak Hebrew anymore, right? They spoke Greek, but they didn't speak Hebrew. We see this even now. Second-generation Koreans, third-generation Koreans, second-generation Mexicans, third-generation Mexican, whatever. If you come from a different nation, within two or three generations, you don't speak that language anymore, right? So there was a problem because these Jews in Jerusalem, they said, okay, we've got Jews all over the world who don't speak Hebrew. They can't listen to the law of Moses anymore. They can't even worship with us when they come back to Jerusalem for the feasts. What are we going to do? They made a decision. We're going to translate the Old Testament into Greek. We're going to translate it from Hebrew to Greek, and then they dispersed it throughout the Near Eastern world, and wherever there were ten Jewish men, they gathered them together in every nation, and they built what's called a synagogue. A synagogue was a Greek-speaking place of Jewish worship. So when you read the New Testament, you see the synagogues. Those were Greek-speaking places of Jewish worship. They read from the Septuagint. They read the Law of Moses, but they read it in the Greek language. Now, when they translated the word kahal, assembly, Guess what they translated the word with? The Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia 
The word ekklesia is a compound Greek term. Ek means out or out of. And klesia comes from kaleo, which means to call. The ekklesia is the called out. The called out of the Lord. The ones the Lord called out. That's the assembly of the Lord. The ones the Lord called out. Now here comes this dude named Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, he's speaking to his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? And they say, some say you're this guy, some say you're that guy. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say that you're Peter and upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. We translate it church. Jesus says, I'm building my church, I'm building my ecclesia, I'm building my called out gathering, I'm building my assembly. Listen, the church is none other than the assembly of the Lord. And so when we gather together, we are gathering together as the assembly of the Lord. But the question is, why do we assemble? What are we coming together for? Why do we come to church on Sunday and why do we call ourselves the church, the assembly of the Lord? When you say, I'm going to church, what does that mean? Let me tell you something. When you gather together to worship the Lord on a Sunday morning, when we come together and call ourselves the church, it's because God rang the bell because the meal is ready. It's like my mother ringing the bell and calling the family to come sit at the table and eat. And when we come into this house of worship, we're coming because God has prepared a table before us and he expects us to sit and eat. Did you get all of that? Because I feel like the amen should have been a lot stronger and more consistent. And oftentimes we come to the table of the Lord, but we sit and we don't eat. Okay, let me break down this down just a little bit further. When we talk about our longing for God, when we talk about our desire for God, we must see to it that we contextualize our desire for God. You see, I asked you the question earlier, are you satisfied in God or are you hungry for him? And I said that the answer is yes. You're satisfied. Why are you satisfied? You're satisfied in him because if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is coming to your heart and he abides there forever. He never leaves. Jesus said, I'm going to pray to the Father and he's going to send you another counselor, even the spirit of truth whom the world does not receive. But you know him. He's with you. He'll be in you. And he'll abide with you forever. He'll take what's mine and declare it to you. I have many more things to say to you, but you can't handle it now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll tell you all things. He'll guide you into all truth. Jesus says that Holy Spirit who comes to live on the inside of you, he lives with you forever. He never leaves. He never leaves. When you make Jesus your Lord and Savior and he comes into your life, he never leaves. You hear me? He never leaves. And so because he's with you always, you're completely and totally satisfied in him. The basis of our satisfaction in God is his abiding, indwelling presence. He makes covenant to come and be with you and never leave you. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He says to his disciples, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm always with you. I'm always with you. Even in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, the father says, my son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But on the other side, when we're talking about our hunger for God, David says in Psalm 63, my God, you are my God for, oh God, you are my God forever earnestly I seek your face. And then he says this, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Get this. When we talk about the distinction between your satisfaction in God and your hunger for him, we're talking about the distinction between the soul and the spirit. Follow me. You with me? You with me? Okay, let me explain. I looked up every place where the scripture speaks of our longing for God, and at no place does the scripture speak of our spirit thirsting for God. It's always the soul that longs for God. The spirit doesn't hunger for God, thirst for God, or long for God. The spirit is satisfied in him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, that if anyone unites himself with Christ, he is one spirit with him. That means when Christ comes into your heart, he comes into the depths of your spirit, which is the deepest part of your being. Now, we need to think of the human person like the tabernacle of Moses. Remember, the tabernacle of Moses had an outer court, an inner court, and the holy of holies. Your outer court is your physical body. Your inner court is your soul, which is comprised of your mind, will, and emotions. And the holy of holies of your being is your spirit. 
Here's the problem. Your spirit, you are not, you have no conscious access to your spirit. When I talk about your mind, you know what your mind is, right? It's a place where you think a bunch of foolishness. <laughs> Pretty much. When I talk about your heart, you know what your heart is, right? It's your emotions. It's a place where you feel a bunch of foolishness. Right? And when I talk about your will, you know what your will is. It's the place where you decide to do a bunch of foolishness. Right? And when I talk about your body, you know what your body is, right? It's the place where all of the foolishness that you think, feel, and decide manifests. That is, your body is the instrument of your mind, will, and emotions. So when we talk about your soul and your body, your soul is your mind, will, and emotions, and your body, your physical nature, you know what that is. But when I talk about your spirit, what is it? You can't point to it and say, you can't even describe it. Well, it's this. All we know of the human spirit is that it's the place where we interact with spiritual realities. That is, in order to have access to natural realities, you need your natural man, your soul man, your body, your physical nature, and your soul. Your soul is the means by which you interact with the physical world. Your spirit is the means by which you interact with the spiritual realm. Okay? So in your spirit, the holy of holies of your being, when Jesus Christ comes into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, he abides there forever. He never leaves. He never leaves. There's no lifting and falling, coming and going. Whether you experience him there or not, he's there. But in your soul, which is the place of your conscious awareness, you're not always experiencing his presence. So when the scripture talks about your soul longing for God... The longing is to experience the presence of the one who lives with you always. Do you know somebody can live with you, but you never experience their presence? You know, my wife and I, we take people into our home. We have some young people we bring into our home just to disciple them, to care for them, to raise them up, give them an opportunity to do ministry. And, and so every nine, you know, nine months out of the year, we bring people in, and they live with us for nine months. And, and uh, right now there's nine people living in our home, six besides my wife and myself and my baby. And, uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of folks, a lot of folks, but that's okay. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's wonderful. But we had one a few years ago and this person does not go to this church. And so don't be looking around to figure out who it is. But we had one dude who, from the moment he moved into our house to the moment he moved out, never came out of his bedroom. I mean, he, I mean, we moved him in and we did not see him for the next several months. Finally, we knocked on his door and said, you got to go. You got to find another place. Why? Because we're not going to have somebody living in our home who doesn't want a fellowship with us. I mean, if you're going to live in my house, you better come out and sit at the table and spend some time with me. I mean, let's eat together. Let's, we knock on the door. You want to eat? Oh, no, I ate good Yes, last week. I ate good last week. I'm fine. You know? No, you better come out of that room and sit at the table and talk. It's not about. Now, that's how a lot of Christians experience their spiritual life, their Christian life. God lives in the house with me, but he never comes out of his room. God came into my life, and he's in that room right there. If you came over somebody's house, and they're like, oh, who, what happens? That, who's in that room there? Oh, that's God's room. <laughs> what? Yeah, God lives in that room there. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Let me get this straight. God lives in your house? Yeah, he's been here for years. He's been here since I was a little boy. Stayed in that room right there. See that room? It says God on the door. God is right here in this house. Are you serious? Dude, God lives in your house? Amazing. I would love to have God live in my house. Oh, God can live in your house. Just repeat this prayer after me. God will come in and he'll live in your house. He'll live with you forever. Well, wait a minute. What I want to know is, what's it like to live with God? I mean, what are the things that he talks about? I got so many questions. Does he answer your questions? I got things I need his help on. Do you think he would help me? No, no, he doesn't do any of that. He just stays in that room. He doesn't talk to me. He just stays in that room. He doesn't do anything for me. He just stays in that room. He doesn't help me with anything. Actually, we get no benefit from him living here except to know that we're living there, that he's living there. And that one day, if I let him live in my house, one day I'll go to heaven and live in his house. But for now, he just locks himself in that room and never comes out. And I have absolutely no interaction with him whatsoever. That's how most Christians live their lives. And maybe that's why none of your friends want to invite God to live in their house. I don't need an extra roommate that I never see. I can't stand the roommates I already got. Not me, but, you know. (laughs) I love my roommate. (laughs) My roommate is fine. (laughs) 
When we're talking about the soul's thirst for God, we're longing for him to come out of the room and sit at the table and fellowship with us and talk with us. I'm hungry for God. I'm completely satisfied in him because he's in the house. He's always with me. He never leaves me. No matter what happens, he will never leave the house. He's always with me. He lives with me. But I want more than just to know that he's in the house. It, more than just a theological, well, God is always with me. Just to say it, but I know you're with I want more than to know that he's with me. I want to sit down and talk to him. I want to sit at his feet and drink from the cup in his hands. I want to lean back against him and breathe and hear his heartbeat. This love is so real. It's more than I can stand. I want to rest at his feet. It's overwhelming. That's what I want. That's what I want. I'm hungering and thirsting. And when Jesus described going to heaven, he described it as a feast. He said, many will come and sit at the, many will come from the north, south, east, and west and sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. And when he described salvation, he described it as a meal. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And he did not say, I'll come in and hide in a room and you, never bother you. He said, I'll come in and eat with you. And you with me. I'll come in and sit at the table with you. Let me ask you a question. Are you hungry to sit at the table with Jesus? Are you hungry to feast on the things that he's prepared for you? Are you hungry to sit at the table and to eat from the words? Remember, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Have you, are you hungry? It was Peter who said, as newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and following. As newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk. Do you know how babies crave pure, pure milk? Babies crave milk. I remember when Alethea was an infant and she craved milk. She would scream for milk. She would cry out for milk. Why would she scream and cry out for milk? Because mommy wasn't there? No, because mommy was there. She was hungry because mommy was there and she knew the milk was there. She could smell mommy's milk if mommy was in the house. She knew it. I know mommy's in the other room. Ah, come mommy. I need your milk. I'm hungry for your milk. Crave pure spiritual milk. Peter says, so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Let me tell you something. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. And if you don't know it, you need to taste him today. You need to taste and see that the Lord is good. You need to take, because let me tell you something. When you get a taste of Jesus, when you get one taste of Jesus in your mouth, you'll spit everything else out that you've been chewing on. If you get one taste of Jesus in your mouth, but some of you today got to make a decision to stop nibbling at the table of the world. You got to stop eating the donuts of deception. You got to stop chewing on the annihilators of the flesh. You got to stop eating the sour powers of, of the world. You got to stop eating them gummy worms and gummy bears and put down that sugary stuff that rots out your teeth and adds inches to your waist. And you got to learn how to taste and see that the Lord, He is good. You got to learn how to crave that pure spiritual milk. Psalm 42, the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say, where is your God? You know what the psalmist was saying? He's saying, suddenly I realize that I'm hungry for God. And you know why the psalmist said that in Psalm 42? Because he was going through a tough time in which he was separated from everything that used to bring him joy. He says it in the psalm. I used to go with the multitudes with, with, to, a, to the temple feast with songs of joy. He says, I used, he's saying, I'm separated from everything that used to bring me joy. And in this place where everything's been taken from me, suddenly I've come to grips with the fact that what I'm really hungering for is God. Some of you are in a place where you feel like everything's been stripped from you. Everything's been taken from you. Let me tell you the purpose of this season in your life. It's a season of awakening in your life where God wants to show you that what you're really hungering for in the depths of your being is God. Let me tell you something. I don't care if you feel like you're hungering for God or not. Every human being is hungry for God. You were created hungry for God. You might not feel it. It's just because you've been nibbling too long at the table of the world and stuffing your soul with small things. But stop stuffing your soul with that stuff for just a season. Stop eating that stuff for five minutes and suddenly you'll start realizing how hungry for God you are. Augustine, the great, uh, the great uh, theologian of the church, Augustine from the 5th century, 
He said, the heart is restless till it finds its rest in thee. Speaking to God. The heart is restless till it finds its rest in thee. And you know why Augustine said that? Because his heart was restless. We're talking about the 5th century. Do you know what Augustine's problem was? Women. He was a skirt chaser. He was. He was. He Just read his confessions. He's praying prayers like, oh, Lord, grant me chastity, but not yet. He said that. I'm, I'm quoting. Not yet. He said, I'm not ready yet. He fathered a child at a wedlock. I mean, he, he, had, he had some issues. He had some social issues. His mother would go to church and cry and weep and pray for him, cry and weep and pray for him. And one day she was at church. She was at the altar and crying and weeping and crying out to God for her son. And Ambrose of Milan, their pastor, came down and took her hand and said, look at me. And she looked at him and he said, it is not possible that the son of these tears should perish. It's not possible that the son of these tears should perish. And one day, Augustine, he's out walking through a garden, and he hears some kids playing on the other side of the wall, and these kids are singing. And they were singing, pick up the book and read. Pick up the book and read. And he thought, I've never heard that children's song. Pick up the book and read. What is that? You're supposed to be singing Ring Around the Rosie or, you know, Pocket Full of Posy, you know. And they're singing, pick up the book and read. What in the world is that? He couldn't figure out what song it was. And all of a sudden, he looked next to him on the bench, and there was a Bible laying there on the bench. And so he picked it up. And he opened it up, and it fell right on Romans chapter 13. And there at the bottom of Romans 13, it says, Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You know what it says? Stop eating the donuts of deception. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. At that very moment, Augustine's heart was changed. He was a skirt chaser no more. He made a decision to give his entire life to Jesus Christ from top to bottom, from beginning to end. And God changed his life, and he became one of the greatest theologians of the church. Why? Because he made a decision to allow God to awaken his heart. And this morning, my prayer is that God would begin to awaken our hearts to our deep and ardent desire for him. That God would begin to awaken our hearts for our, our, that we would begin to sense that passionate desire. Pascal said that within every human heart is a God-shaped void. There's a God-shaped void in your heart. Nothing can fill it but God. Nothing can satisfy you but God. You can spend your life chasing things and trying to get things to satisfy you. But let me tell you something. The only one who will ever satisfy you is God. And he's here today. He's here today. He has called us to assemble at his table. He's here. The question is, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have called us into the fellowship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we're here today because you've called us, and some of us are not aware of that. Some of us think we, des- we decided to come. Some of us think we've, de- we've came for somebody else. I came because of my brother. I came because of my sister. I came because my mom wants me here. I came because my mom said I have to go to church. I came because Pastor Joseph said if I come to church, we'll go bowling afterwards. (laughs) When we don't realize that we're here today because we've been called. We've been called by God. He says, fear not for I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You're mine. I've called you to come. And we're here because we've been called by God. The scripture says that when God came walking in the garden after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit, the Lord called Adam said, Adam, where are you? I'm calling you. I'm calling you to come to me. And today, my prayer is that the Spirit of God would open your ears to hear the call of the Lord, that he's calling you. Come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come. Come, everyone who's thirsting. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money on what is not bread, your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit would fall mightily on each and every heart, that your spirit would fall mightily on each and every mind, that you'd open our hearts 
and that you would connect us with our deep longing for you. God, every single one of us longs for you, desires you, but that longing, that desire has been buried under so much. But Father, today I pray that you would unearth the longing of our hearts for the living God, that you would unearth it, that we'd begin to cry out with the psalmist. My soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. For I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory. Your love is better than life. And my lips will praise you. Let me tell you something. Your soul thirsts for God. I don't care if you don't feel it. Your soul thirsts for God. You better just embrace it today. Your soul is thirsting for God. But maybe you've nibbled at the world for so long. You've been eating the donuts of deception for so long that you don't even feel it. But today the Spirit of the Lord would come and remove the donuts of deception from your mouth. Whatever it is that you're doing to make provision for the flesh, He's here to remove it. He's here to set you free from it. And He's here to connect you to the longing of your heart, the true longing and the true desire of your heart. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I want to ask this question. You're here today, first of all. You're here today, you're not walking with Jesus. Maybe you walked away from him. Maybe you never started walking with him. But at any rate, you know who you are because you know you're not walking with Jesus. But he's calling you today. You hear him calling you. You feel him reaching for your heart. And you're ready to reach out and take his hand and respond to that call. You say, Jesus, I'm ready. If that's you today, whether you're receiving him for the first time or rededicating your life to him, making a decision that you're going to walk with Jesus, either way, you hear him standing at the door and knocking. And you're ready to open the door and you're ready to invite him to come in and sit at the table and eat with you. Not an empty invitation to live in a spare room in your life where you never have to deal with him, but an invitation to come sit at the table and take center stage in your life. You say, I'm ready. Lift up your hand right where you are. I see that hand. Anyone else? You say, I'm ready. I see that hand. I see that hand. Father, thank you for those hands that were raised and for your spirit that's coming mightily on these individuals. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, come and fall sovereignly. Thank you that you accept and embrace these individuals who have lifted up their hands to you because truly in the lifting up of their hands, they've lifted up their lives. I want all of you just to repeat this prayer after me, especially those that lift up your hands, but everyone else as well. Jesus, come in. I need you. I want you. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And make me new. Sit at the table with me. Open my ears and my eyes. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for me. I receive you. Teach me to walk with you all the days of my life. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. While our heads are bowed, one more moment. Others of you here today, and I believe many more, you've been walking with Jesus, you know him, but you haven't felt hunger for him for so long. And it's because you've been sitting at the table of the world, nibbling on the donuts of deception, You've spoiled your appetite again and again and again. But today you're making a decision. You're going to put those donuts down. Today you're making a decision that you will only feed on the things that the Lord gives you. Today you're making a decision that when you come and sit at his table, you're going to eat what he's provided for you. Today you're making a decision.
You're making a decision today. I'm going to leave behind the donuts of the world, the donuts of deception. I'm going to leave behind the little sugary snacks that the devil puts in my path that are designed to destroy my appetite so that I don't even have an appetite for the things that God serves me. I'm going to learn again what it means to hunger and thirst after him. That's you. I want you to lift your hand right where you are. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Father, thank you. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. As deeply as I thirst for you, so deeply am I satisfied with you. Because I've been given fullness in Christ. But as deep as that fullness is, just as deep, it's my hunger for you. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I want to forget those things that are behind. I want to reach for those things that are ahead. I want to press toward the mark of the high calling that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. I'm hungry. But it's a hunger of satisfaction. Not a hunger of despair. I'm hungry. But it's a prophetic hunger because I know that at every place where I hunger for you, at that very place, you've promised to come to me like the rain. I desire you. Father, I pray that you would release the deepest desires of our heart. And may they be for you. I speak your blessing over this gathering. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I say, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his light to shine upon you. May he cause the light of his countenance to rise upon you and give you peace. Till we meet again. Bless you. We're dismissed. Amen.